Today, I kind of want to move us back a little bit. Um, and I was just been praying about this of just, you know, what, <clears throat> what really stood out to me as I've been praying of just uh, the sabbatical, this church, you know, for you. And I thought this for this particular series, like this one thing today that, that stood out, I'm hoping that it would be a, a blessing for all of us, is this <clears throat> titled today's message, Practice of the Early Church, Practices of the Early Church. And it's going to just go through a f- four verses, right? A very, a very short passage on some practices of the early church and, and church, specifically at Antioch, right? And I, I think, you know, as we look at this, I think this is something that really stood out to me that, uh, you know, I've been praying for our church and just, what does that look like? What does that mean for us as we continue to grow, as we continue to follow God and and continue to kind of move forward, you know, as we send people, as we continue to just be faithful to how God's leading us. And I think there's a couple of things today that I want to point out, because I think as I've been thinking about this, is that there, some of these practices and rhythms have been really, um, just standing out of just, wow, that's amazing. And I would love to see that over time with just how we want to follow God and how God's leading us and how, what he is doing. So we're going to look at this in Acts 13, just three verses, really. Um, Verses one, starting with verse one. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. While while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they have fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Very short, right? But I think that one of the things I want to just bring up is that sometimes we read this and it just kind of gloss, I, I gloss through it at times. But there's so so much richness as we study the scripture, as we look at uh, what what's actually happening there, right? And I think the first point I want to bring up in this at the Antioch Church is how there's diverse leadership, diverse leadership. Right? At first, when we read this, it's just like these names: Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul, right? And perhaps for what we've been preaching on and speaking on in the Book of Acts, we you know we've heard of Barnabas and Saul. But I, you know, I think it was interesting. It's interesting that they're naming other people that that are leaders, the prophets and teachers at this church, right? For Simeon, uh, Simeon called Niger, you know, that's a nickname, and most scholars think that the word Niger for in Latin means black, and so he is someone of dark complexion that you know perhaps is from Africa, and Lucius of Cyrene is some, this area. Cyrene is is in northern Africa. Right. And I, I, when I think about this, this diverse leadership and how God has called people together, it's interesting. You know, you have Barnabas, right? That's a Palestinian Jew. You have Saul, who's a Roman citizen in, from Tarsus, right? <clears throat> that they're all from different regions, really, right? That Manian, this, this person is, is, if you look at that, just that parentheses, it is so interesting what they mention about them. Right. He was actually brought up. He was in other translations, uh, fostered kind of foster brother of Herod. All right. And who is this Herod person is the same Herod. What we see 
Uh, in Luke 9, uh, what, what we see of John the Baptist being beheaded was there when uh, Jesus is crucified, right? It says in Luke 9, Herod, a tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. This is John the Baptist that he beheaded, right? And others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I hear such things about, and he tried to see him, right? And this is trying to see Jesus and this person and him. But I bring this up because in Acts 13, in this way, if you think about this, you have this guy, Manian, who was, you know, brought up with Herod, who becomes this governor of Galilee, right? So it's even in our stories and like in our life, if you think about that must be such an awkward holiday or gathering, Right. There's someone that killed Jesus, someone that you followed. This person's a, a I don't know if he's a prophet or a teacher, but he's a leader at the Antioch church. And for him, he's there. And I don't know if he sees Herod at all. And we don't know that at all. But man, think about that. Think about the what his background, what he would have seen, how <clears throat> if he disagreed with what Herod did. Right. And for these people called together. So you have a Barnabas who was, you know, whether he's middle class or whatever, he had land that he sold, he gave to the church. He had Saul, who again was a trained rabbi, was a, one of the leaders in Sanhedrin. Right. <clears throat> and you have these different people. You have a person that's an aristocrat, someone that grew up in the ruling class, or at least with the brother Herod. Right. And then you have two people, which we don't know, but they're perhaps from Northern Af- from Africa, right? And I, I look at this and I'm just astounded. I'm astounded by the idea that there's such a diverse leadership, diverse group of people. And in the Antioch church, they were the church that were first named to be, you know, called to be Christians, right? There's a church that uh, was diverse in nature and in, uh, in the, not just the leaders, but in the congregation, And it makes me think, it makes me think about, man, that is amazing picture of people from different backgrounds, different upbringings, culture, being brought together because of the gospel, right? Brought together because of Jesus, right? They were prophets and teachers. They were people that were given these gifts by the spirit, these talents, and brought together to be leaders of this church, You know, I I think about this because it is amazing picture, a picture of a church, a picture of the body of Christ to be able to cross boundaries, cultural boundaries, backgrounds, skills, and to be able to be come together and ways to be used by God. I think that speaks much. I I know a a few weeks ago, I spoke about, you know, this conflict and disagreement between Saul and Barnabas. And we use even this particular passage as as they were called together. But it is something that really stands out of this diversity, this idea of being able to connect with people that perhaps you may not normally connect with. Being able to follow people, right? Follow people who normally may not, you may not get along with. You know, I think even when we look at this list of names, how they gather together, it is a challenge for the church today, right? Are we so alike that there are no conflicts, there are no problems? Or do we see how God brings people together and yet we love, yet we extend grace to each other? 
I think that's this is beautiful when I see the diversity of leadership at the Antioch Church and what they saw of how God was using individuals and using people for his kingdom. That's one thing that I want to bring up and just kind of highlight because it is beautiful, this diverse leadership that we see there. It makes me wonder and pray about here at Grace Life. And I've been at this church for 20 years. And as a student, I served afterwards as a volunteer staff for many years. And then I came on as a <clears throat> paid full-time staff 10 years ago. And I've been thinking about this as what that would be. So it would be just beautiful to see this, how God would use all these different people. Someone like myself who came in with not wanting to go into church or not wanting or desiring, even thinking about going to ministry, but yet God moving in my life, bringing me together, many of this leadership here and the support. I, I think when I think about that, I'm like, I can imagine this to happen. I would love for this to happen a ways that as, as a church, as people of God, that we could not just talk about grace and love, but continue to grind in certain ways because it's not easy. It is not easy, but continue to work at it, grind at it even sometimes, because to love and to extend grace, it is to rough out those rough edges that we all have in our lives, that God sees the value and the purpose and the plans that he has for each one of us. And he's drawn us together for his kingdom. And what would that look like? You know, as much as it is this diverse leadership, I want to bring up the second point from this short passage. It is that you see a culture of sending. You see a culture of sending. Right? In, Acts, in this passage, it says, set apart for me. This is the Holy Spirit speaking, right, and leading them. It says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Something that they have to be set apart from. They've been doing things. They've been doing ministry. They've been, you know, <clears throat> working for God. But something that God has called them to be separate, to leave from. And what's amazing is that then they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, you know, this is amazing to me of how this church functions, that, that Antioch church at that time. Because if you think about this, these were two of the five leaders, at least the prophets and the teachers that were mentioned. But of those five, two of them, and probably the most well-known, Barnabas and Saul, probably their best leaders, their teachers, were called to go. And this church blessed them to go. You know, this is sometimes counter-cultural, counter to what we believe, is that when we're like, oh, mate, you know, I have the, of course, any you know, companies, workplaces, they want to retain talent. They want to keep people from going to a different place. But here you see that when God calls that they were just laying their hands and blessing them and sending them off. There's something to be said about having this willingness, this <clears throat> uh, prompt, urgent way of sending Saul and Barnabas to the things that God has called them to. You know, as, as we're talking, even as we, you know, practice today of praying and laying our hands over the trombos, I think what I realized more and more is how hard COVID has been. You know, just 
our relationships, our gatherings. And I don't want to diminish it at all. And it's been tough. But I do wonder and I think about what are the practices and the values that we want to continue as we continue moving forward. And this is one, ascending people, right? One of the things that that I, I love about my experience as Stepping Stone was this, <clears throat> this thing that for Stepping Stone people, they know about the six-year plan. And I'm not here to sell you on it or anything. It's, it, it was my reminder of when I've been thinking about ascending church is that my time at Stepping Stone, there were just many times where I, when I went into college, I was not thinking about going to ministry. I was not thinking about doing anything about with God. I thought God was just going to bless me in whatever I did. And that's okay, do you know? But I remember just praying and be like, wait. And I remember Pastor Roger, Pastor Jude, at that time asking, do you want to go into ministry? And I'm like, no, no, no. That's for my, my roommate. He's graduating. He's going to go to seminary. Count on me to be a faithful member. You could always count on me, right? And I remember praying that night and just saying, Oh man, you know, if I pray and God doesn't say anything, I'm I'm home free. You know, I'm like, he's going to bless me, whatever I do. And that's going to be great. And we're praying that night. And there was the same passage in my quiet times. I, at that time, I just read cover to cover. So I don't jump around. I just kind of read through the scriptures. And it was when Jesus is calling his disciples. And it says that, you know, they left their nets and their father and, and went with Jesus. Right. And that really just just tore at me of just thinking, man, would I ever leave my father and follow Jesus? You know, all the things, many decisions that I made have always been based on what does that look like? The approval, the need for my father to my father's approval. But when I entered that, and when I talked to my parents, I remember just them being very upset, you know, thinking about disowning me They're like, How can you even speak on this? You know, we did not send you there. We did not sacrifice for this, all this stuff. And I get it. I get it. I get that, you know, they have given me many opportunities that I never would have had and that they didn't have. You know, but I realized I'm also wrestling. And as I was walking to that, that I'm not living their life. You know, I'm trying to do my best and following what God is leading in my life. And that's how the six-year plan over many years of praying was this idea that, you know, many students that went through Hopkins that I know of, that were like, I feel that there's a call to go into ministry. But their parents, even if they're Christian or not, not Christian, would always be one. And I get it. I would say that to my son, too. Are you sure? You know, if they were doing. But it is the idea of just like, hey, you know, <clears throat> they sacrificed for me to get some education for opportunities that they didn't have. And they did not want me to go into vocational ministry. Right. But what I've seen through the years at, at Hopkins at Stepping Stone is that every so often there were people that felt God is calling me to something different. And this plan was one that fostered and many of, I know Stepping Stone, you may not, you, you hear about it, you know about it, but hundreds of alum have come together to support people like myself, people like Alan, like Richard in the past to go through seminary, to not ask their families for finances to pay for their seminary on top of what they already paid for college and whatever it might be. And to show our, the families, Hey, you know, there's people supporting me. There's people rounding up. There's people that, you know, Richard and Alan didn't even know that were supporting them 
Why? Because they believed in what God was doing on that campus and what happened in their life and what they wanted to continue to see. I say all that because, man, I love the idea of being sent. I love the idea of people not just feeling alone, you know, and just going, you know. There was a joke that I was hearing, that I was listening to. It says, you know, there's a lot of people that could just have went, but not sent. You know, they could just go to different places and they just went, whether or not they, but the idea of being sent, the idea of support, the idea of people around you, not even financially, but really spiritually, really gathering around, praying, walking with people, welcoming people. That is an amazing thing. That is a culture that what we see in <clears throat> right now in, at the Antioch church, they were the first, really. There's a lot of people in the, when they scattered from persecution that share the gospel, that they were running away and sharing the gospel as they were going, wherever they were going. But here is one of the first accounts where they were purposefully sending, setting aside people and then sending them for the idea of missions, for the idea of sharing the faith. Right? They were not just messengers. They become missionaries. Right, People that were sent from the Latin word. And then this place, this idea that, that stands with me today is what does that look like to be sent? To be a church that sends. But if we take a step back, it is truly what we all have been called. Right, When Jesus, when he speaks to his disciples, as he was commissioning them, right? He says, Jesus says to them in Matthew 28, and this used to be one of our passwords. It's funny to me in our router at the church office, right? Like if you ask, what's the password? Matthew 28, you know, you know, 1920. But, you know, it's, it's amazing to me is that, you know, we are all called and all sent, right? Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven on, and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He has sent all of them. He continues to send them. He continues to send us. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what? Not just going and make, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That this continues now of being sent by Jesus, that we are to be, therefore, go and make disciples. Now, perhaps not all of us are called into missionary work in terms of what traditionally is said here, but we are all sent into places, workplaces, neighborhoods, families, friends, that we are called in that way of making disciples. That doesn't mean that the person has to <clears throat> believe in what we're saying. It's not even up to you and I. Right. What's interesting when we spoke about the Manea and Mananan, right? When he's the person that grew up with Herod. These two people grew up with the same culture, same family, perhaps, same understanding, but yet they became vastly different people. One a teacher and a prophet, the other, you know, beheading John the Baptist and, and being a part of Jesus' death. Right, two people that grew up this in, in similar situations, same householders, same upbringing going completely different ways. And that just shows that it's not up to you and I to convince or to have some certain proof, but rather we can only do our part of being sent, of going, sharing the good news, 
And I think we're all called to that. We're all called to that lifestyle, that living, and it could just look different. But friends, let's not be confused in our purpose and our calling in life. It is not just to work, just to be a student, just to do certain things. It is that and being a follower of Christ. And that is the tension that we all have to live with and work out what does that look like as God is calling and leading us in the people that we meet, the people we speak to, and how do we extend grace and love in our life? They had a church that were <clears throat> started this culture of sending. And that is definitely something I would love and continue to pray for for our church, that we would send for Stepping Stone for those who graduate as alumni, send them to different places. God has called, called every one of you students to different places. He has planned that and purposed that. In Acts 17, it says that he has you know appointed times and places and boundaries. I didn't put this on. That men would reach out and recognize that he is near, that he is right there and not far, right? That you would be pillars of faith, not just going to a church and attending another church, but pillars of faith wherever God calls and sends you to. Likewise, for all of us at Grace Life, likewise, when God calls and sends us, like as he is in the trumbos, to go back, what does that look like to be a pillar of faith and not a consumer of faith? What would that look like? I love it when I think about some of our history as our, of our church, of how we sent our founding pastor to be a missionary to Peru. Those are things that at least when I think about how and what we made a decision, many of you as members, as the church family has welcomed, has joined into that. It brings me joy of thinking about that as a church and as we continue to, to ask ourselves, what are the values and practices we want to continue? Lastly, one of the practices that at the very end that I want to bring up is the idea of times of fasting and prayer, right? Ascending was only because also at the same time, God was calling them set apart for me, right? God called these people to, for his work, for his kingdom. But this idea is times of fasting and prayer. You notice that it's, it's while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And they were fast, they fasted and prayed. There's something to be said about prayer, about worship, about fasting. Yeah, I, know, I know for a church that loves food, right? That fasting is probably sometimes, man, man that's not a practice. And I don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible does not command us to fast, does not tell us you have to fast. And there's no secret in fasting, okay? I want to make that clear. But you see it many times practiced throughout scripture. I'm only going to show you <clears throat> two, one individually of King David, right? When he had, when his son was sick uh, with Bathsheba, when, when he knew that God, that his son was going to die in second Samuel verse uh, chapter 12, verses 21 to 23, you know, he was spending all this time fasting and praying and asking God, right? While his son was sick and, his, and he comes out of this fast after his son's passes away. 
It says here, his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Right? You see, there's other, many other stories that people fast and pray and bring their petitions. They, they, they spend this intentional time seeking God. All right, another aspect of this is a, a more corporate fast in Ezra. And there's many, like I said, right? Ezra 8, verses 21 and 23. Ezra, as they're rebuilding Jerusalem, he says, he proclaimed the fast. He's trying to go back so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. They're going back to rebuild the temple. It says, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. I bring this all up because there is something about prayer and fasting and worship that I want to continue to encourage our church to continue to practice in our church. You know, even as we were seeing this, the last song, you know, there's sometimes where I just don't want any music, but just the voices and just, and we could, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I could, we could just sing the same lyrics over and over. But that sometimes helps my posture and my heart to just slow down, to remember what am I singing? What am I praying to God right now at this instant? And there is something when I am able to do that, that is different when, I'm, when I feel that my life is going 100 miles per hour. There's something about fasting when, when, we, when we decide, hey, I am going to, it's not just to stop. Let's just say there's these days we fast anything. We could fast our phone usage. We fast a bunch of different things. But it, I love how it says they fasted and prayed and worshiped and fasted. That they utilized the time of the of what they would may have eaten, may, and that they were praying and worship. They were spending this time with God. And I want to bring that up. Is this, if you notice, is while they were. It's not before. It's not that they were seeking God and be like, God, should I, you know, should we send Paul and Bar or Saul and Barnabas? They were just worshiping and fasting. This was a natural something that they were always doing. Right. Kurt was Kurt and I were just talking, we we're joking around. And he mentioned that there's this, you know, I don't even know the, any of the references. Right. But there's a, there's a writer that says his best idea always comes at seven in the morning. Do you know why? Because he always spends seven in the morning, perhaps intentionally preparing and spending that time working and thinking about what he has to do or preparing for whatever he has to write about. He or she has to write about. But this idea of worshiping and fasting, it's not just I'm going to seek the Lord because I want to answer. But I love it. It says while they were worshiping, they weren't necessarily, it wasn't what they were seeking out and saying, okay, God, let's do this. No, they were spending this regular relational time with God. And while that was happening, the Holy Spirit said, led them. That's something I, I continuously want to encourage. It's not because we worship and pray and fast for always for a specific petition for God, but rather this relationship with God and what we see here. And they did do that. They fasted and prayed also, right, for the specific petitions and 
guidance from the Lord. But there is something to say, to say when you're present, desiring God on a regular basis, that when he speaks, sometimes you just, you know. But the question is, and a challenge for all of us in our busy life, is how often are we just slowing down and worshiping and fasting? How often are we slowing down, praying and fasting? Right in Acts 2, where we mess, this message <clears throat> was spoken on before, verses 42 to 47, it says, you know, the, 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 the disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the scriptures, I would say for us, to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They were making this time, they were doing this. And I think at those moments, sometimes, this is no formula, nothing that I know, sometimes God just speaks and you know. And in those times, I have to say, in my limited experiences, those are wonderful and amazing. In those times when you spend hours praying for one another, laying hands, they're not just to do a practice of religious activities and meetings, but rather a time of praying, seeking the Lord together. And there are times when we're entering those moments where we see God move powerfully. This is encouragement. Do we want to seek that? Do you want to see that? Experience that for yourself. Because the Holy Spirit, who God is, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forevermore. And I know for us, and one thing that I've been praying about is, and thinking about for us as I come back from the sabbatical is that I, I would love to start doing some of these prayer and worship nights. Of just being able to slow down and just worship, pray. Spend time, linger with God. These are words that I used to say a lot more, but I know COVID and everything else in life has just been harder and harder. But what we see in this and what I want to encourage is that while they were doing this, God spoke. And then they continued and they followed. And I believe that that will happen now as it has happened before. That he is the same relational God that desires to reveal himself and speak to you, to me, to anyone some, that sometimes desires to seek him. That he is actually reaching out to us even when we don't know it. And this is what I kind of want to mention and end on in the practices of the early church, that there were this a beautiful, especially Antioch, diverse leadership, community, that it's not just something we talk about here. We just say, hey, there was. It is something that we truly have to practice trying to live through. 
of being pe- being next to people that are different and still love, still extend grace, still see what God sees in that person and celebrate that and, and follow in ways that God's leading other people in your life that you see that. Starting a culture of sending, of living out, being sent people here in Canesville and in Baltimore and Howard County, living that out. And lastly, to encourage every one of us of, of this new year, this new time of perhaps trying this for yourself, of a, a space of fasting and prayer, of worship, that you're seeking God and, and design, having a humble posture design to listen to what he has to say. I'm going to invite the worship team up and I'm going to pray as we close. Lord, I know that sometimes it's just easy to talk about this, but it's hard, but worthwhile to live out. I pray for each one of us as we, Lord, enter this new year, Lord, that we would see your goodness and your glory, that we would be able to respond in those words that God is good all the time. And that we would say all the time that God is good. That we know that life can be messy. We see it in the news, in in the life of people all around that's encountering right now. And we just want to seek after you. We want to be your arms, your feet. We want to extend love and grace. To live out the life you have called us to. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that this new year, that, Lord, help each one of us develop some of these practices, that we would make even even the smallest one of, God, I want to devote this to you, Lord. That we would present that and offer that and seek you, seek your face. And we hold you, Lord. A God of promises, a God that never lies or changes to reveal yourself to us. May our lives this year, 2023, Lord, as we reflect back even a year from now, be a step towards you, a step of a turning point of change, Lord. May we see your power in our lives and be reminded of your presence and glory. Will we know that you hear each one of our cries and that you remember all the promises. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for God, that you are faithful when we are not, that you are good when we turn away, that you have sent your son so that we, Lord, can continue to have this relationship with you. So, Lord, we just lift up this time of worship and prayer. Would you just allow our hearts to be silenced, allow the distractions to be pushed away, and to be just a few minutes of just 
fully devoted and dedicated to you. And we love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.